right, good morning, DCF. How you guys doing? I see some new faces out there. So glad you guys are here. Welcome. My name is David Hell. For those of you guys who don't know, I'm the pastor here at DCF, one of the pastors, let's be honest. Um, <laughs> there's a lot, lot better pastors than me in our church, which is really, uh, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it is a thing. So uh, I'm just thankful for all the shepherds that we have in our church um, that love people well. I try to love people well. I have a gift of leadership, so I sometimes want to kick you in the butt more than I want to pat you on the back, but uh, I still try to learn to encourage you. But I'm glad you guys are here, and uh, we've been doing a series for the last uh, couple of weeks called Love Reigns. We're kind of right in the middle of that, and so we started out with, uh, with Easter and just this clearest proof that Jesus' authority that, we, that Jesus' authority in our life is his resurrection from the grave. The fact that he is alive today is the clearest sense of his authority in our lives. And so last week we encouraged um, everybody to know that when we're united with Christ through faith in him, we become a new creation. And this is the beautiful part that our past no longer gets to define us. Amen? Isn't that good news? That's good news. And so um, there's a beautiful thing that happens as we kind of move into this, this ne next part of our, our series. We've been talking about how love reigns over our past, and today we're going to be talking about how love reigns over our present. And uh, because of the mercy of God, we're going to get into Romans 12, because of the mercy of God, we can live victoriously in this present world. So it's a beautiful thing. Um, God's mercy is amazing. I don't know if you guys remember this when you were little, but I used to play a game called Simon Says. Anybody remember Simon Says? We're not going to do it, so don't, I'm not going to be weird with you. But I remember um, I was pretty good at it because, you know, I, was, I would pay attention. And the whole aspect of you don't remember the game is that, you know, if I would say something and then I say Simon Says, then you would do it. But if I don't say Simon Says, then you don't do it. And it's really fun to play with toddlers because they totally don't understand the rules of the game. Right, and it drives their mom and dad kind of crazy when they do, or sorry, their brothers and sisters kind of crazy when they do it. But that's kind of the picture of this test of the fact that we, you and I, both have a will of our own. So when we, get, when we gave our life to Christ, if we've given our life to Christ, it doesn't mean that he's taken over our will. It doesn't mean that he's removed our will. As a matter of fact, our will is still in place, and we still have choices about what we're going to do with our will. But in our day-to-day in our -day lives, we make thousands and thousands of decisions um, most of you guys know who Steve Jobs is. If you ever saw Steve Jobs in any kind of presentation he ever did, he wore the same thing. Anybody remember what it was? <laughs> yeah, we all, most of us remember a black turtleneck and blue jeans. And so they asked him one time, they said, why do you do that? And he goes, because that's one less decision I have to make in my day. It's not a bad idea, right? I think suits were kind of that idea at some point. It's like suits are suits, right? You, in, if you're in a suit, you look really nice. But let's be honest, it's suit's a suit's a suit, right? <laughs> so it's interesting how that works. But we're making these decisions on a regular basis. And what happens is we, we often listen to voices maybe that we ought not be listening to. So when Simon says do something, sometimes the world says do something and we do it. And so we have to be careful who we pay attention to because our choices reveal who reigns in our life. Because that's kind of the way it works. Uh, if, 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 I, if you want to know what somebody believes in, ask them to see their checkbook. Unless they're a millennial, then they don't have one, but <laughs> see their credit card statement, maybe is a better way to put that. But uh, if you want to know what someone believes, um, look at the choices they make. So I don't know about you guys, but I've made some good choices in the past. Um, I've made some bad choices in the past. But if we look back on our past decisions, who would we conclude was in charge of our life? How many of those past decisions were a result of obedience to God, and how many of those were a result of obedience to either our sinful desires or the voice of the world, this sense of peer pressure, I feel like I need to do this, or I care so much about what people think. It's interesting that the Apostle Paul has a lot to say 
about living lives under the influence of God rather than the influence of the world. So in Romans, he talks about that. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Only that's not what he said, is it? Because <laughs> he could have. He could have just said, hey, listen, just do the right thing, right? But isn't that sort of kind of like what we had with the law? And so if you know anything about Romans, Romans goes after that in a big way. And matter of fact, three or four times he says, or, you know, he, he gets it that you might be saying, he, you might think he's saying to you, is it okay to sin? And so he says at least three times in the book of Romans, it's not okay to sin, right? So let's go back and read this the way it's actually written. It says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and your proper worship. So Paul begins by saying that every instruction he's about to give us, everything he's about to say that you ought to do, right, that sense of we know what's right, we know what's wrong, it has to be done as a believer in the view of God's mercy. Because if you don't, it, it changes things. You begin to get into this mindset of I just need to do the right thing, I need to do the right thing, and you stop relying on a person, you stop thinking about the relationship that you're in and the connection that you're in with God, and you start making it about rules and regulations, and it turns into religion very, very quickly. So as a kid, when, when I was little, we'd go to Tennessee. Um, my dad would sometimes borrow my grandpa's um, uh, station wagon, and we would go up to Lookout Mountain, Sea Rock City. Anybody ever see Rock City? You had to see the Rock City sign saying Sea Rock City for like a thousand miles, you know, before you got there. And I'm like, by the time we got there, if we didn't see Rock City, I was going to be upset about the whole situation. So we would go up there, and, uh, and sometimes I would take a cousin, but there was this place called Lookout Mountain, and there's a point at Lookout Mountain, and I've done this many, many times, where you can actually see seven states on a clear day. It's really fascinating, just the way it's, you know, where Lookout Mountain is situated, and then the, the view, the height of where you have. But it's really interesting to see the, the seven states. There's, you kind of need this little contraption they have up there. They call it a viewfinder. Anybody remember looking through these things, a viewfinder? And so what's interesting about this view, view, viewfinder is it draws in, things in close, right? You see from far away, and then you put a coin in it sometimes. Sometimes they're free, but you put it in there, and you look out through there, and you can see for miles. You can see the rivers. You can see the mountains, and they're up close. And it's because it changes your point of view. Right? You can see the massive view before you with your own eyes, but when you look into the viewfinder, it changes your perspective about what you're seeing. And I think this was kind of what Paul had in mind when he uses Scripture. In view of God's mercy, live this way. So he's saying, let love reign over your life. Because God's love is there, it can reign over your life. And so that's what we kind of want to get into Today it says basically in view of God's mercy or this is the lens. God's mercy is the lens through what we see. How many of us walk around grumbling and complaining on a regular basis because things aren't working out the way that we think they should work out? Well, first world problems, first of all, <laughs> right? Like I, I had somebody run into my new car. It's not brand new, but it was new to me, right? Ten days after I had it. And I remember feeling just angry. I'm like, come on, man, I just... You know, and I remember something my dad said. My dad was from Appalachian Mountains, and he said, listen, if you ever buy a car, or, or a truck specifically, he said, just take it down to the gravel yard and have them pour a, you know, a load of gravel on the hood. And I was like, obviously, <laughs> you're from the Appalachian Mountains, because why would you do that, Dad? That makes no sense. And he said, because then you get over that first scratch, and you never worried about, about it again. I'm like, that's, 
I'm not going to do that, but I see where you're coming from, right? <laughs> and so it's interesting how once that first scratch occurred, I have a different perspective of my car, right? And you don't think you see things a certain way until something changes and you get a new perspective, but that's kind of what we're talking about today, that there's a lens. God's mercy, his kindness, and his goodness <clears throat> is a lens through which we need to see the life that we're living because we forget. Let me get, just give you an example. In the old way of doing things in the Old Testament, Old Covenant, the Bible says, and Jesus talks about this in uh, Matthew uh, 5 and 6, which is very interesting because we think that's the New Testament, and it's labeled as the New Testament, but Jesus is talking to people under the Old Testament, right? He's talking to people who are under the Old Covenant, so be careful what applies to you. When Jesus is talking about something, go back and look at the context and look in to see whether he's talking to you as a new believer with a new heart and a new life and the mercy of God reigning in your life, or you're still under that old way of thinking, which is that the law, which is the doing, doing the right thing and that kind of thing. So under that context, the scripture says in the Lord's Prayer um, that if we don't forgive others, God won't forgive us, right? And I remember in the early days as a young uh, minister, I prayed for someone who is having a hard time forgiving someone, and I didn't do this well. And so I used that passage because, I mean, come on, it's in, it's in red. Jesus said it, so surely that's true, right? And it is true. It's just out of context. And so the old context was um, there is a right way of living. The law was set up so that you could see what was expected of you and recognize you did not have the power to do it, right? It wasn't just the one where you could see what was expected of you. What is the standard by which all of us should be living? And the answer is the Ten Commandments, really is 630-something laws, but the Ten Commandments kind of put it in, a, in an, a capsule. And we look at that and go, I ought to be doing that. Everybody agrees. Every, every religion, every world religion agrees with the Ten Commandments. We should be, that's perfect moral understanding, right, of how humanity should exist. And yet the harder we try, the worse we did at it. And that was the point, right? And so under the new covenant, what's really, really interesting, it says it backwards. It says, because Jesus has forgiven you, three different places in the New Testament, because Jesus has forgiven you, you forgive others. See the difference? It starts on the other side with the standard that's necessary. This is the standard. If you don't forgive, you can't be forgiven. It's necessary. So what happens is Jesus comes, he pays the price on the cross. We all know this story, right? And he takes all of the sin, all of the standard. He lived it perfectly. He lives a standard himself. And then he lays down his life. And in exchange, he gives us his righteousness as a gift, right? It's not self-righteousness. It's the gift of righteousness to us. And he takes all of our sin upon himself. When he did that, he changed the way we can proceed. He changed our perspective if we will recognize the new covenant, right? If we recognize the way God does it now. And so now the in view of mercy, you can do. Not just you should, but you are able to do this because now Jesus has given you power over sin. That's kind of, kind of the point of the resurrection that he was showing everybody. Hey, look, I, I want to show you how much authority I have. What's the one thing nobody comes back from, right? <laughs> it's death. And he came back from death and he's like, Ta-da! Now, ta-da is not in the New Testament, but should be, <laughs> right? It should, every Easter should be, ta-da! <laughs> right? And so the whole point is, there's something about what happened on Easter that matters to you and I, especially as believers. And so in view of his mercy, 
we look, if we're not careful, we start grumbling and complaining because we're, if something's happening in a way maybe we don't understand or don't think it should. But what happens is when we are in view of God's mercy, everything begins to change. Why? Because God has been so merciful to you, you begin to look at life differently. He sent his one and only son to die on a cross because of his mercy. He's offered us a fresh start, brand spanking new life. Why? Because of his mercy. He loves us unconditionally. My wife, one of my favorite um, things that she says is, on my worst day, God loves me, right? Here's scriptural preference for that is, before um, or while you were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly, right? You were on, you were everybody's worst day, let's be honest, right? Maybe you were here in your sin or here in your sin, but you were in your sin, right? And on your worst day, Jesus still loves you. And that's why it's so interesting when people come and they've had an encounter with the Lord and they're not viewing their lives, in, they're not taking the perspective and having the view of God's mercy in their life because this is what happens. You begin to beat yourself up, you begin to take things, you take your attention off the mercy of God and you begin to put it on yourself. And so, if we're not careful, we miss the concept of the sacrifice that Jesus made, right? So the interesting thing about the sacrifice, when, when Paul makes a statement about being a living sacrifice, this was, um, this was a, a context that they really understood in terms of sacrifice. So what was a sacrifice? It was the taking of the life of an animal. You take an innocent life of an animal, or take an, an innocent animal, you, you take his life, and, and his life becomes your life, and the death that was on you becomes his death. Right? That was the picture of the old covenant. You could never live up to the standard. So what would you do when you broke the commandments? You would offer a sacrifice, right? So the Bible goes on and it talks about um, Jesus being the perfect sacrifice. Go read Hebrews. It, it begins to lift him up as the lamb who was slain before the foundations of time. So it's really interesting in Psalms. This is um, Psalm 51, 16, 17. It's really interesting how he puts it. He says, you do not delight in sacrifice. So Paul's saying, hey, you should be a sacrifice. You should be a living sacrifice. And you see this, this context of sacrifice throughout the Bible. And then Scripture says, Psalm 51, this is what God says about sacrifice. He says, um, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. He says, you do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. And then he explains himself and he says it this way. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart you, God, will not despise. So the author of Psalm 51 is shedding light on the real reason for the sacrificial system that Jesus had in place. It's not about the sacrifice, it's about the heart behind the sacrifice. See, and that's what the Jews were missing. That's what Judaism was missing. They had turned it into a sacrificial system, and the system had replaced the God that they were supposed to be worshiping. So they became... If it, two ways that goes, and how this pertains to you and I, two ways that goes. If you're really good at following rules, you become prideful, right? Because I can follow the rules. Not 100%, but way better than you, <laughs> right? <laughs> and that's all I need, because then I can look down on you and I can lift myself up because I'm living the sacrifices better, or I'm offering the sacrifices better than you. But we forget the whole point behind the sacrifice, that none of us are worthy, right? Which is why a sacrifice is needed. What's interesting about this, again, the true sacrifice of a follower of Jesus is a, is a broken or a contrite heart and an obedient spirit. And this is what Paul was actually talking about. In view of God's mercy, be a living sacrifice. Now, here's the thing about a sacrifice. 
a living sacrifice is harder than a dead sacrifice. Because when you sacrifice something and it's dead, it doesn't move off the altar. <laughs> What's the problem with a living sacrifice? We've all heard it. The problem, you keep crawling off the altar. Anybody ever done that? It's like, oh, this is sacrifice. I don't want to do this, so I'll just kind of avoid it, right? But, but why we do that oftentimes is like sacrifice is hard. But to lay your life down, like to love your wife the way Jesus loved the church, what happens if she's not being lovable that afternoon or whatever, right? And for her to respect her husband, what if I'm not being respectable that particular morning, right? And so it becomes a sacrifice that's not easy to do. So how do you lean into it? And here's the thing. If you make it about rules and regulations, you just won't do it. It just gets to be too hard. But if, if you think about it in light of God's mercy, what he's done for me, what he's forgiven of me, then I can forgive others. And that's what scripture talks about when it comes to forgiveness. When we help someone who's had, I mean, I've, I've ministered to some people, and maybe you know some people, maybe even some of these things have happened to you, but I remember ministering to a woman who had been abused as a child by her father for the, as long as she could remember. In one situation, she was literally locked in the basement um, as a trafficked, you know, young woman for her father's friend. And so I'm praying through this with her, and she tells me this as her pastor, and I'm like, oh, boy. <laughs> how, do you, how do you say? Because I know in my heart what's happening is the forgiveness is the poison that's, that's actually killing her. Unforgiveness is the poison that's actually killing her. Her, de- her father's dead, right? So he doesn't have any more power in her life except that he does. And so I'm having this conversation and I have to help her understand. Because if I say, hey, you just need to forgive your father, her question is, do you not know what my father did to me? And how do you answer that? i tell you how Jesus answers it. Jesus answers it says, okay, <laughs> if you want to talk about it, where are you in the spectrum? Have you done no evil? Remember what he says to those of you guys who you want to throw the first rock. It's fine. It's, it's right. And it's justice, right? But... Those of you who without sin, you, th- you throw the first stone. So all, you know, Scripture says from the oldest to the youngest. I love that. Because, like, you know, the older you get, the more honest maybe that you get with yourself sometimes about where you've been. And you're like, I ain't throwing a rock. <laughs> like, there's too many people in this community who know me who might throw a rock right back at me. So I'm definitely not throwing a rock. And that's kind of the point. So in view of God's mercy, what happens is you say, okay, Lord, the sacrifice that I should bring, a contrite, a broken heart, an obedient spirit. Lord, I want to do what you're asking of me, even when it's challenging. I want to love my enemy, right? Anybody can love a friend, but it takes a believer (laughs) to love your enemy. So how do you do that? The only way is to be reminded of how much you have been forgiven. When you get, when you capture that, what that, that's really what in view of God's mercy really means. Do you remember how broken you were? Were you perfect? Or have you deceived yourself? Because Scripture speaks to that, and it says that none of us, none of us have done right. Not one single person has done well. So I help, it's helpful to remind us of this because the tendency is to compare ourselves to other people, which is unwise, the Bible says. So it would be like you, stand, you and I standing on the side of the Grand Canyon, and I throw a rock, and then you throw a rock. Well, maybe your rock goes farther than mine. But let's be honest, are you ever going to get close to throwing the rock completely across the Grand Canyon? And that's the perspective. 
Some people have sinned more. Some people have sinned less. Some sins seem greater than other sins, right? The damage, the impact, the brokenness that it's caused. But be careful because sin is sin at the end of the day because all it takes is one to separate you from the presence of God. And let's be honest, we've had a few more than one. <laughs> so Romans 12, 2 is really interesting. That He goes on and he talks about the ultimate outcome of living the sacrificial life. And this is what he says. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. There's something you have to refuse to do. Don't conform. Don't do what the world is doing, right? In view of God's mercy, be a living sacrifice and don't conform to the patterns of the world. Why? Because the patterns of the world are going to call out to you. It's normal, especially before we gave our life to the Lord. There are, a- there are aspects about our life. This is our family of record. This is how I grew up. My dad was like this. My grandfather was like this. Therefore, I'm going to struggle with this thing. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. But at the end of the day, Jesus doesn't slow the ride down. Jesus gets you off the ride. Right? The world's philosophy it's like, a, you know, it's like a carnival ride that's kind of rickety and, you know, you see how those things are put together sometimes. And it's, you got on the ride and you're like, I, didn't, I thought it was going to be fun and now it's not fun and you're starting to feel sick. You kind of know I'm going with this. And I'll, you're like, oh, help me, help me, help me. Psychology and, and the world's thinking and the philosophies of the world and religion, all those things can slow the ride down, right? But they can never get you off the ride. But Jesus got on the ride in your place. He suffered all of it so that he could offer you an exit to the ride. So this whole thing about I'm just coping with my past, stop it. (laughs) Stop coping with something that you don't have to cope with. You can be set free. So he goes on. He says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Because when you do that, when you're transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. The world around us has patterns that lead to a broken life. We were all in them. Some of them we learned from our parents. Some of them our parents tried to teach us against, and we got into them anyway. Either way, we ended up in that place where it's marked with either greed, selfishness, pride, envy, gossip. I mean, you name it, the brokenness of sin. And these Patterns are easy to fall into because so many other people are doing it. But here's the thing. Um, If you change your patterns, you can change your life. Here's what's powerful. The only way you can actually change your patterns is to have your heart changed first. That's kind of what we started with at the beginning. There has to be a heart transformation. There has to be an exchange. You have to get a new heart. But then when you get a new heart, don't believe that you have to continue in the brokenness and the patterns that you grew up in or that were thrust upon you. You can actually be free from it. So this is really interesting about patterns. We, we did this when we were little. I don't know if you remember. I want to show you a, a, a pattern page from a kindergarten um, notebook. So you see the, the patterns there. You've got a, a, a square, a triangle, a square, a triangle, a square. What comes next? Good for you guys. That's awesome. Well done. Somebody give them a sticker. <laughs> right? right? So you go through. Here's another one. Uh, circle, circle, square, circle, circle, square. Right? So, I mean, it, it, here's the thing. We all get this, right? It's so easy to recognize patterns. Here's the thing. It's also easy to recognize patterns in your life, if you're honest, right? So here's the thing. Once you know the pattern... What happens next should become obvious to you. If you begin to go down this road, what did you think was going to happen? 
right? I'm always, it's always amaz- amazing to me I'll be in a counseling session where someone has waited too long to sit down and talk to us, right? <laughs> to Karen and I, especially in marriage. And maybe it's an affair, it's a sexual sin that's led them to an affair, and they're like, you know, I don't know how this happened. And I'm like, hold up. <laughs> I'm like, I- I'm-, I'm trying to be kind here, but let me just stop you. You don't know how the affair started. Is that, are you actually going to say that to me? You don't know how that happened. And they'll, you know, if, if hopefully it'll lighten it up a little bit, and they'll go, well, right? So what happened? Let me just give you an example. Um, it doesn't start with, I wake up one morning, I've been in love with my wife, we've been, it's a great marriage, it's doing wonderfully well, we're taking time for one another, we're doing all the things we know that we ought to be doing because of God's mercy for us, we're forgiving of one another, right, we make space for growth, all those things, we live a grace-filled life and a grace-filled marriage, and then I wake up one Saturday morning and I think, you know what I'm going to do this afternoon? I'm going to go sleep with a random stranger, that's what I'm going to do. You don't do that, right? Never has that happened. What happens usually is there's brokenness that begins to occur, and you begin, you start off in a path that begins to separate, and you go distance, and more and more distance, and more and more alienation, and then some woman, as a man, some woman who's not your wife shows you affection and appreciation. And you have to make a decision about what you're going to do with that. Because should your wife be doing that? Yeah, she should. Even if I've done it wrong, yep, she should, right? In view of God's mercy, she should be doing it. Doesn't mean she has a challenge, right? Doesn't mean that everything's okay because it's not okay. But is it okay for me to walk down that pattern and say, you know what? I see a pattern here. I've seen this pattern in life before. I've watched this in a thousand movies, right? I've read this. I've heard this. I know what comes next. Now you have to make a choice. Will you go down that road? So you identify the patterns. And if you don't change your perspective, you're going to continue to fall into the same patterns over and over and over again. And so Paul's challenging us. He says, in view of God's mercy, I want to give you a different perspective. If you could see the mercy that God has poured upon you, whatever challenges you have with your wife, whatever sacrifice that you need to make with your spouse, to humble yourself maybe, to say, I'm sorry, to start fresh, to sit down and say, honey, things are not where they ought to be. I know this, and I know a lot of that, let's be honest, is me. And so I want to talk to you about what I can do to begin to go down a different road. In view of God's mercy, because he's loved you, because he's paid the price, you can offer a sacrifice, a living sacrifice of doing the things that are tough and hard, because what happens is when you do that, it leads to God's best in your life. I've said this many, many times, if you do God's thing, God's way, you get God's results. But if you change any of those two variables on the front side, you try to do your thing God's way, it won't work out, (laughs) right? You try to do um, God's thing your way, like, Lord, I I see what you're doing here, but obviously you didn't know how to do this well, so I'm going to adjust it, (laughs) right? You know, I see see how you, you have given me parenting in the Bible, but I think that's just mostly a suggestion, so I'm going to try my own style and see how that works out. Good luck with that, right? So we don't conform. This is what he says. Don't, you make a choice. I don't want to conform to the old ways again. So what do you do? You trade your will for God's will. Remember Jesus said in the garden, not my will, but yours be done. So people are like, you know, Jesus 
wanted to go to the cross. No, he didn't. And yes, he did. Right? It's a bit of, a bit of tension in your theology. No, he didn't in the sense that three times he said, Father, if there's any other way. Right? Nevertheless, in other words, even if I believe you, I, I know you're good, and if this is the only way, then I'm going there. And he knew it was the only way, so he submitted to it. And because of that, the other side of his sacrifice is beauty. And that's what the Bible teaches. The other side of our sacrifice becomes beautiful. So the ultimate outcome of a sacrificial life and a renewed mind is the ability to distinguish the will of God for your present life. Remember he said, if you do this, he said, then you will know the good and the perfect will of God. When you lay your life down, when you say, because of God's mercy, I want to I have a different perspective. I want to become that living sacrifice. I want to stop crawling off the altar every time the you know, sacrifice needs to be made. I want to actually make it this time and follow through with the sacrifice so that I get the fruit of the other side of the sacrifice. And it goes on, it says in verse 2, and don't conform to the patterns of the world. So what does that look like? When everybody else is doing it, we used to tell teenagers in youth ministry all the time this. We're like, what's peer pressure? Peer pressure is a bunch of people trying to get you to do something. It can be positive peer pressure. Most of the time in high school, it is not positive peer pressure, <laughs> right? It's negative. So if you don't know what, if you don't have a view as a young person, if you don't have a view of God's way and God's mercy and what he's done in your life, if you don't have that experience, you will get caught up in the patterns of this world. Why? Because there are promises. The world makes promises that it will not follow through on. If you make enough money, you will be happy. No, you won't. If I just had this, if I just had that, it's not true. And we all know it to be the case. So under the reign of God's mercy, we get to distinguish God's best for us, and we can choose it. So what if you were to trade in the time and the energy that you, you used to spend on the old patterns in your life and you created new patterns with better outcomes? What if you submitted to God's leadership in your life? This is what Proverbs 35, or sorry, 3, 5 says. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Let me read it again. Trust in the Lord. That's real easy to say, isn't it? But it's difficult to do sometimes. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him or acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. So when we trust in the Lord and we question our own understanding, we will begin to see the straight paths that are laid out for us. They become apparent. So I, Karen and I did a lot of youth ministry over the years. Uh, most of you guys know that. And part of youth ministry, what we would do is we would come alongside Young people, of course, but we'd also come alongside parents. Um, I can't tell you how many times, because parents and children had tension, that they would they'd sit down and talk to my wife or myself or one of our leaders, and they'd go, man, my parents are horrible, <laughs> right? Because they felt safe, right? They knew we loved them. But listen, we loved them, and we didn't have to. Like, their mindset was my parents have to love me, right? So therefore, they don't. Like, first of all, they don't have to love you. <laughs> and secondly, they are also choosing to love you. And it's much harder for them to choose to love you because they can't send you away like we can. Like, we give you back after two hours, right? It's pretty easy for us. Grandparents are the same way, right? But we would sit down there and go, you don't understand our parents. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe you don't understand your parents. And see, the danger, there's that thing, even for us as leaders, is to, is to draw their attention and their love to our, our, ourselves because that feels good, right? Pastor Dave and Perrin, y'all, you guys understand us. You get us, right? 
And then the sacrifice that we have to make is to tell these kids the truth and go, your mom and dad's right. Why are you not listening to your mom and dad? You are setting yourself for, for failure if you don't listen to your mom and dad. Now, obviously, the mom and dad told them to do something stupid. We'd have a conversation with their mom and dad, right? But the point is, we would come alongside God's authority, God's pattern, as opposed to the world's pattern. Because the world pat- world's pattern is our parents don't know anything, and they do. Let me help you young people, right? Your parents are way smarter than you, and they didn't go crazy until you came along. So, Right? Let's be honest about that. (laughs) However, they may be from a different generation, and you have to work that out. But don't assume you're right and they're wrong. A submissive heart, an obedient heart, it's amazing how far that would go to bring more and more freedom. Because part of what your parents are trying to do is to build into you these patterns from the kingdom, right? Godly patterns in your life. So that when the world offers you a pattern, you don't, take that pattern. In view of God's mercy, they're teaching you a way, the way that's right and good. And, 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 they're, and they're challenging you to do that. And sometimes you don't want to do that. And you're, you're, there's a disobedient, disobedience in your heart and you want to withdraw. And the best thing your parents can do is to love you in obedience and love you even in the challenge, even when you say, I hate you and I don't want to live here and I go down the road, right? Think about it. If you, if if they got rid of you every time you did something a little bit disobedient, you wouldn't be there now. <laughs> you would have left when you were two. <laughs> they were like, we're, we're taking this one back to the hospital. I kept my receipt, and I'm turning this one in, and I'm getting another one because this one doesn't work right. See what I'm saying? But they don't do that. Why? Because their love and their passion and compassion for you goes past that. They're sacrificing often to love you into the kingdom, love you through the challenges that the world brings at you, even in your mistakes and your brokenness, and God does the same thing. So let me just close with this. I want to pray, and I want to pray with you specifically about something. I want you to pray this prayer. And again, this is your choice whether you do this. But as I've been talking, I would imagine there's some things that popped up in your head. Um, Scripture says it this way, to lay aside the sin that so easily besets you. So whatever your challenge in life is, maybe it's not my challenge. You know, I, I know people who struggle with alcohol in terms of alcoholism and being drawn into that to the point where they can't control it. I have never, ever had that problem. My challenges lie in other places. And I would imagine that some of the challenges that I have, the people who struggle with alcohol would not have those challenges. And that's okay. The whole point is, it's not whether it's this or that or whatever it is doesn't make any difference. Whatever that is in your life, first of all, believe that you can be free from the patterns that you're involved in. So why is this? It's so helpful. Let me explain why, and and, and I'm going to close and I'm going to pray with this. But it's really, really important that we get this. In Hebrews, it says that I can come boldly before the throne room of grace, right, for help in time of need. So without grace, without, without the gospel, the good news of what Jesus did on the cross, that's not possible. In other words, you could, come, you could never come boldly into the throne of grace because you would always come with your hand in front of you hoping that his wrath didn't fall upon you, right? And too often, that's still our attitude when we approach the Father. So what, what does that do? Because of our guilt, our shame, and, and whatever condition the enemy has conditioned us into, we begin to believe that God is bad, right? And he's not wanting to help, and he's just waiting with a big hammer to smite us, whatever smite looks like, right? 
But that's not the picture of the gospel. The picture of the gospel is Jesus came knowing full well what you had done and what you would do. Not just you personally, but everybody on the planet, past, present, and future. He knew it all, and he loved us anyway. And he said, I want you so much that I'm going to take the thing that's in the way to myself, deal with it, take it away, so now there's nothing between you and I to come, where you can come into my presence. So now, whatever pattern, whatever issue, whatever challenge, and maybe you've been dealing with it your whole life. And the kindness of the Lord says, I want to change that for you. But first you have to believe that that's what I want. I don't want to beat you up about it. I don't want to condemn you. You are condemned already. You are condemning yourself even when Christ doesn't condemn us. The Bible says if my own heart condemns me, God is greater than my heart. And that's good news. And most of the time we don't believe it. And I know that because I counsel way too many people say, if you knew what I've done, well, if I knew what you've done, maybe I'd look at you cross-eyed. I don't know. <laughs> I try not to do that. I haven't been surprised in a long time, but I'm not going to put it past people to surprise me even now, right? But God's not surprised. He knew, and he loved you anyway, and he welcomed you anyway. So how much more, if he loved you, as my wife says, on your worst day, how much more now that you are in Christ, that you are pushing against the darkness and leaning into the light, how much more will he give you help in your time of need? So you can come boldly this morning before the throne room of grace and say, Lord, I know you love me. And I know you don't condemn me for this because if you did, I would have never gotten out of it in any form or fashion. So I know that you love me and I know that you want, there's hope and there's peace and there's everything, good, good thing that's been offered to me. Teach me, show me, help me understand what's in the way of coming through this. I don't want to conform to this pattern anymore. Maybe it's every time you do something wrong, you feel guilty, and the pattern of the world is, I feel guilty, so I can't turn around and say, God, thank you that you have forgiven me already. That you think that every time you sin, God's wrath falls on you again. That is not biblical, and it's not the gospel. So what does that look like? God's wrath has been poured out on Christ once for all. Scripture is very clear about that. That means he has no more wrath for you, only love. So in light of God's mercy, what would you ask? What would you ask of him? Karen talked about healing during worship time. That thing that the enemy says, this is your lot in life. Would you hope again? What about relationship? I've been hurt too many times. Would you hope again? In light of God's mercy, would you believe again? Would you believe that he is just that good? That he's, going not, he's not just going to necessarily come and take it away because he's, he's, he's done that in the cross. But something is in the way. You're conforming to old patterns of the world and you need to not do that and then lean into being transformed by a renewing of your mind. What does that look like? So often, this has been my discovery, one of the key elements is that God actually wants to help you. That becomes the linchpin. All of a sudden, the enemy can no longer hold on, hold you in the lie that says God doesn't want to help you because look at how bad you are. And what we do scripturally is to be, even become a believer is say, look how bad I've been, right? Look at what I've been. My sin, 
I'm, I'm holding, the wrath of God is sitting on me because of my sin, because Jesus paid for the sin, but I'm wanting to keep my sin upon myself. And when I let my sin go, it's a beautiful exchange. Jesus comes and says, here's life in the place of death, right? Here's love in the place of wrath. It's yours now forever and ever. And so what would that look like this morning? If you would pray, whatever you're dealing with, the sin that so easily besets you, the pattern in your life that needs to change, would you pray this prayer and say, Lord, help me renew my mind so that I can stop conforming to this pattern and be transformed by the renewing of my mind. So let me pray with us. If you would, just bow your heads with me. Uh, and you can pray your own prayer. Uh, what I'm praying right now is, you know, it's no incantation or magic. It's just a prayer that helps lead you down that path. So Lord, I, first of all, just thank you for your mercy and your compassion and your kindness in my life. Lord, thank you that your heart is for me and not against me. Lord, and nothing that can be against me, Lord, is, is going to have any power if you are for me. So Jesus, I lean into that and I say thank you that you want me. You don't just love me. You actually want me and want to be with me. And you see me past my brokenness, Lord. You see me in my brokenness, but you see me past my brokenness. And your mercy and your grace is for the brokenness. So Lord, I submit that to you. I don't want to conform to these patterns anymore, Lord. I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. So Lord, I want to see just how deep your love is. I want to see just how deep your mercy and your kindness is in my life. And I submit myself to you. And I say, because you've changed my heart, Lord, I can obey you into every good thing. So thank you for an inheritance that's been laid out for me, that you took away the pain and the heartache and the brokenness and the sin. And in its place, there's a beautiful inheritance of my Father who loves me so, so deeply. So Lord, I just say thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for, uh, for joining us today, y'all. If you're watching online and there was something about the message today that you would like to have prayer for, if it was something during our time of worship and you'd like for us to pray, please contact us through our website and someone from our ministry team would be, um, be in touch with you. If you're in-house this morning and you would like prayer for anything, whether it be something from the message or just maybe something that you would like to have breakthrough for, we would love to come alongside you and pray with you. And so if that's you this morning, just raise your hand. Someone from our ministry team will come and pray with you. And for uh, those of you who are um, not getting prayed for, just have a great week. And those for you who are getting prayed for, have a great week. Um, but just we look forward to you joining us again and being with us. We're so thankful for seeing all of your faces today. And um, we just bless you guys and have a, have a great week, y'all.